Well, Merry Christmas. Great to see you. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. And just want to welcome you here today, especially if it's your very first time. You know, God's bringing new people every week, and we're just excited to have you here. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching. Uh, is it finally warming up out there? Is it finally? Like, it was 41 degrees when I came to church this morning. 41 is the limit of me riding my motorcycle. <laughs> like, when I'm on a long trip, 41. Because at 41, after about 20 minutes, my hands freeze, and I can't control the clutch and the brake. So that's kind of my thing. So typically, I stop wearing my flip-flops at 41 as well. <laughs> but it caught me by surprise. It was so cold when I came out today that uh, here I am. But I'm finally warmed up now. Uh, after the 9 o'clock, warm me up. So, uh, so we're good to go. So um, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week for our time together. I encourage you to take that out. And if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. Uh, I just want to challenge you, though, before we get going. You know, it's really uh, interesting. Last night, uh, this wasn't in my notes. Really. I mean, last night before I came out uh, from backstage, like right before I came out, I felt like God was putting something on my heart uh, to share. And uh, it's, I, I don't know about you, but this is like, this is Christmas weekend, right? This is the weekend before Christmas. And, uh, and so, I, I don't know, over the course of my life, I've heard a lot of messages on this weekend. I've given a lot of messages on this week. And I've often heard, whether it's about me or someone else, it's like, hey, that wasn't bad for Christmas. You know, it's like, what are you going to do with this message? Same old message, right? And so, um, there's almost can be, like when you come into a weekend like this, there could almost be a sense of, um, yeah, it's just Christmas weekend. We're just kind of in that Christmas malaise. You know, we've kind of got the Christmas pixie dust. We're all exhausted. Uh, we're just here, you know, in church. And what I, wanna, what I felt like he was just challenging me is that I, I really believe this message is for some of you going to be a life-changing message today. Uh, I believe that we're, we're, you know, we're not just before Christmas, but very shortly we're going into a new year. And God has some new plans for many of this new year. And it's going to be big things. And it's going to be challenging things. And the message that I'm going to bring today, I believe for many of you, you're going to look back on your life and you're going to remember this message. And it's going to be a life-changing moment. And so I just want to kind of say, and this is what I feel like he's put in my heart to say, just, hey, it's time for us just to wake up. I know it's Christmas week. It's Christmas message. But there's something that's important that's going to happen today. And I just want to challenge you, I want to call you out, I want to call you to the edge of your seat, and so we're all ready for whatever God wants to say to us about this new year. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here on the verge of uh, not only Christmas, but a whole new year, a new adventure, and we're excited about that. Lord, we don't even know what it brings. Uh, our vision may be very different than your vision, um, and we just want to be open. We want to be open to whatever you have. We want to receive it full on, full force today. So I pray that you'd be with me. May my words flow. May my voice be clear. I pray that you'd help us just to rise up spiritually. Like your word says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. That today as we go over a common story, a familiar story, but from a new angle, that you would speak in a powerful way. And we pray in your name. Amen. Well, today we're not exactly continuing this series we've been in. But for those of you who are brand new, we are in the midst of a series it's called Sense uh, Life on Mission. And it's uh, a study based on one of the longest books in the second part of our Bible called the um, uh, Acts of the Apostles. Uh, it's, it's the name of the book, the, in the second part of a Bible called the, the Newer, uh, Newer Testament. And uh, in this book, it's written by a man named Luke. He's a real bright guy. He is a doctor by trade. 
He's become a follower of Jesus, and he's really fascinated with this whole movement of Jesus. And so he does some careful historical research, and he researches out the whole life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and then the birth of his movement that kind of starts in Jerusalem over the next 30 years, goes across the Roman Empire to Rome. And so he, he chronicles this, two, uh, kind of this whole story of Jesus in two volumes. And I like to think of it like season one, season two, a very popular kind of drama on TV. They're designed to be watched together. Season two assumes that you've watched season one. And so season one we call the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and, and focus on the life of Jesus. Season two focuses on the birth of his movement, the first 30 years as it spreads across all the way to Rome. And so in this series, Life on Mission and uh, uh, Sent, that we've been studying, it's really focusing on season two, uh, Acts. But what I want to do today and this Christmas weekend is go back to see how Luke starts his story, back to some of the, the first couple episodes of season one. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you've got your apps, go ahead and open up to chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 26. And there in your note sheet is a section that's called Luke's Christmas, Mary's Encounter. And we're going to pick it up at verse 26. So it starts off, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sends this angel Gabriel to kind of a backwater little town called Nazareth, which is a town in the north of Israel called Galilee. Now, let's set it up. Um, Luke starts his first episode in the story of Jesus. And remember this uh, as we go through today. He is writing this account of the birth of Jesus about 60 to 70 years after the birth of Jesus. So by the time he's writing this, he's seen the story from beginning to end. He has seen the movement of, he's seen the life, death, and resurrection. He's seen the movement of Jesus expand across the Roman Empire. Everything we're setting in Acts has already happened probably by the time he's writing Luke. So from the very beginning of the story, he starts it very carefully, and he starts with a, a story, kind of an account of this older couple. The man's a priest, his, uh, his wife, his name is Elizabeth. So the man's name is Zechariah. His wife's name is Elizabeth. They live in the Judean hills. And two, two weeks out of the year, like every other priest in Israel, two weeks out of the year, he travels to Jerusalem to serve at the temple. Now, according to the Jewish Roman historian uh, Josephus, there were about 20,000 priests at the time of Jesus. Uh, we don't know if that's an exaggerated number, but that's what he says, 20,000. And so they, would, they were divided into 24 teams. They would go to serve two, uh, two weeks out of the year. And so while he's there, this, this old man, he's actually selected by lot uh, to burn incense inside the temple to God during one of the daily sacrifices. So this is a high honor. You may go your whole life before you get the chance to go into the temple and burn incense. You may never happen. And so he's in there. And of course, over the course of his life, he and his wife have prayed for a son uh, they're, they're very old, they're beyond childbearing years, they've never been able to have kids, and now he's very old, and an angel shows up. Now, here's the thing, even if you know nothing about Jesus, you know nothing about Christianity, you probably know that angels play a big part in the Christmas story, right? Like, you know that. And if you don't, if you've never read the Bible much, you probably assume that angels back then were just flying around left and right. They're just kind of, you know... It's like there's an angel a minute, right? Angel talks up to Joseph. Angels talk to, to Mary. Angels show up in the field, the shepherds. I mean, there's angels everywhere. Angel coming to Zechariah. 
That is not the case. In fact, if you read the Bible that covers hundreds and thousands of years, angels are very rare. They hardly ever show up. And when they show up, usually something big's about to happen. And so at this critical junction in human history where God's ready to become part of our race, it's a major epic changing event that's about to happen, and angels are going to show up. And so this angel shows up, and here's what I want you to catch. If you're Zechariah, if you're Mary, if you're Joseph, um, angels are something of the past. They're like of ancient biblical history. Like you're like, oh, no, we don't see angels in our day. We're in the modern world. Uh, angels were like, you know, during the time of Moses or Daniel or David. They're old school, you know. And so, uh, so when an angel shows up throughout the Christmas story, you'll see this. Everyone's always freaked out. And the reason is it's like they're expecting an angel as much as you are. Like in the middle, if you wake up in the middle of tonight and there's this huge white guy <laughs> shining Looks fearsome. They don't have wings, by the way. Uh, fearsome. He's like, hey. You know, it's like, you're going to freak out, right? And that's why you'll see this in the Bible. Whenever angels show up, people freak out. And uh, the angel, usually the first or second thing he says is, do not be afraid. And the reason he says that is because everyone's always really afraid. <laughs> it's like angel manual, page one. When you arrive, say, do not fear, right? <laughs> Trust me, they will be scared to death. So... Anyway, so he shows up, Zechariah's there, blown away, it's not expected, and he says, Zechariah, your prayers over the years have been heard, God is going to answer your prayer, you're going to have a son, he's going to be a miracle boy, I know your, your past childbearing years and so on, but you're a miracle child, and uh, I want you to call him John, and he's going to be an amazing prophet, first prophet in hundreds of years, he's going to prepare the way for the coming of Messiah. Well, this is quite a promise, Zechariah's not sure if he buys it, and so the angel named Gabriel says, okay, just to help you know that this is really the truth, you're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. Um, and that'll help you believe. And so can you imagine this old man gets home, he's trying to tell, explain this to his wife. We're going to have a baby, like with a whiteboard. Yeah, <laughs> Awkward. Sure enough, you know, they, they get together and uh, she comes up pregnant, right? So the point is, that's happened six months. That's episode one of Luke. Uh, and that's happened six months before. And so as we pick up, we're picking up episode two today. All right? So here we go. So in verse 26, so in the sixth month of Elizabeth, that's the, the wife of her pregnancy, God sends the same angel, Gabriel, kind of second assignment, to Nazareth, which we know from archaeology, super small, 200, 500 people, very small town USA, except a few towns, except it's Israel. Anyway, and, and so, um, and so she, she's already pledged to a man named Joseph, who's a descendant of David. Now, uh, to be pledged is kind of like our engagement, but it's much more formal and it's much more legal. In fact, once you're pledged, if you want to get unpledged, you have to get a divorce. Um, like you're, you're technically married, even though you're, you haven't gone, gone to the wedding, you're not living together, sleeping together, you're technically united and you have to get a divorce. This is why when the angel came to Joseph, it says Joseph was ready to divorce her. That, that's why in Matthew's account. So anyway... So uh, the virgin's name was Mary. Now, we don't know how old she was, but um, girls in Israel at this time usually get married very young, 12, 14, 16. So she's probably a young girl, teenager. And so the angel says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, to you and me, that may not sound like much, but for a Jewish girl, that's like code. All right. Uh, this is what God said to Abraham. The Lord is with you. This is what God said to Isaac, the Lord is with you. This is what God said to Jacob, the Lord is with you. 
This is what God said to Moses, the Lord is with you. This is what God said to Joshua for the promised land, the Lord is with you. This is what God said to David. Like when God shows up or an angel shows up and says the Lord is with you, it means something big is happening. It's going to be really scary, but don't, don't worry, God's going to be with you. Like that's what it means. And so she understandably, she's a little upset. She's greatly troubled at his words. In the Greek, it means freaked out and wondered out what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. See, there it is, like right away. He's like, what am I supposed to do? Oh, do not be afraid. And, and he says, uh, you found favor with God. This is all good news. Uh, God, God's really pleased with you. You're going to conceive. Uh, you're going to give birth to a son. She's like, probably thinking, yeah, of course. You know, I'm getting married, you know, fiance. I got Joseph. And you're going to call the name Jesus. Now, Jesus, very common name at the time. Uh, if you read ancient literature this time, like you read Josephus, there's Jesus is running all over it. Um, uh, you, know, in, you know, back in the day, in our country, like, we used to name our kids after famous people, right? Like, be someone famous, and you name them, you know, your kid after that, because they're a famous person. Now we call our kids Apple, things like that. But, uh, <laughs> but Joshua was the great leader of Israel, right? Let him in. So Jesus and Joshua are the same name, basically, in Hebrew. So a lot of parents would call their name Joshua uh, or Jesus. And so, but what Jesus means is Yahweh saves, and so, uh, high name. And so it says, he'll be great, and he'll be called the son of the most high. Now, let's hear it through uh, Mary's Jewish ears. Uh, the, what she's going to hear is the, the, kings, the, the kings of Israel were often called sons of God. Right? So she's going to hear he's going to be a king. Um, but this goes even farther now. He'll be great. He'll be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And so we're very much in a messianic language here. And he will reign over Jacob or Israel's descendants forever, right? So the kingdom will never end. And so if you're Mary, you've been raised on this, the hope of so many, not everyone, but so many in your Jewish culture is that God is one day going to fulfill his promise and send a great king from the line of David, kind of David 2.0, just stronger, better, you know, uh, more powerful human being who's going to come and who's going to rescue Israel from their enemies, currently the Romans, and, and restore Israel to a place of international prominence and, and kind of Arab world peace and so on. And God's going to raise up the, the humble, and he's going to destroy the mighty. He's going to destroy the proud, people like Caesar, people like Herod that are ruling over. And this is what you've been raised on, and this is what she's going to be hearing. And it's important we don't look back and read our understanding into it. That's what she's hearing and so uh, she's pretty excited about this. And so notice her, um, uh, notice what the angel says next, or Mary says next. She, uh, she says, well, how will this be? I want to know the logistics of this. I'm not married yet. How's this going to work? Uh, I'm still a virgin. And he says, well, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Picture the creation of the world when the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and calling forth. And he says, uh, he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born of you will be called the Son of God. So he's more than just this great messianic king. He's actually going to be, sort of literally, God's going to call forth this child from you, the Son of God. And so uh, just to bolster her faith, he says, even Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth, wife of the priest. Uh, we don't know whether Mary knew that his, uh, Elizabeth was pregnant yet or not. So this may have been new information. may just remind me reminding her, but either way, he's bolstering her face. Remember, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. I mean, this is impossible. Um, 
he says, but uh, she who is unsaid, unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then he says, for no word from God will ever fail. Isn't that awesome? No word from God will ever fail. I'm just, if God says it's going to happen, it doesn't matter how crazy. It doesn't matter how impossible. Uh, you know your aunt or your relative, whoever she is, uh, she was like an older lady. She's beyond childbearing. She can't have kids. You know that. And God said she's going to have a child. She's six months pregnant. When God says it, it's going to happen, and the same thing's going to happen to you. And that, that word where it says, no word of God will ever fail, some of your Bibles may translate it like this, with, with God, nothing is impossible. And so I want you to catch her response. Right away, she's open to this. Uh, her life is flashing before her eyes. We'll talk about more later, but she says, I'm the Lord's servant. That's who I am. Her identity was, you know, before anything else that I belong to him. And so I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, go for, let's go for it. Uh, I'm in. And so the angel leaves her. Now, so now at this point, she's going to pack up her bags, and she's going to head south about 80 to 100 miles to go visit her relative Elizabeth. And you say, why is she going to do that? And I'm pretty sure the reason is who else is going to believe her, right? That in this time moment of crisis, it's like she feels like she needs to get with someone who can understand, and she's going to go to the one person that's going to understand this, and that's Elizabeth. Uh, just a little sidebar here. This is so important. When God does something big in your life, when God comes to you and he makes you a promise that it's, gonna, it's something big, it's stepping out of the boat, it's going to require God's work, it's a, it's a big vision, it's something that only God can do, it, it's, it's something big, it's hard to believe, it's very important who you share that with. You do not want to share it with the wrong people. You share it with the wrong people, they'll pour water on your vision, they'll tell you 18 reasons why it can't happen, they will destroy your faith. Uh, when God tells you something big, you need to get with people who have seen God work in a big way in their life. You need to get with people that have experienced the voice, the leading of God. You need to get with people who've stepped out of the boat and watched God come through because they're going to be able to respond and they're going to get it and they're going to be excited about you. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. What's going to happen, she's going to go to see Elizabeth it's uh, you know, like going to take several days or a week, whatever, to get there. And when she gets there, Elizabeth is going to be so excited. And look what Elizabeth says to her in verse, 40, verse 45. She said, "Blessed is she who believed what the Lord uh, would that believed that the Lord would fulfill His promise." This is so great because remember, her husband had not believed, and it's been really quiet the last six months. <laughs> and she's so happy that they don't have to whiteboard this thing out again, right? So anyway, and so now Mary's going to go off. She's had a week or several days, whatever, to ponder this, the, the, the lesson she's been raised in, the coming of Messiah, raising up the, the you know, the, 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 the weak and the humble, bringing on the powerful and the proud. And uh, she's just excited about this vision of this messianic kingdom and God fulfilling his promises. And so she goes off in worship, and she says in verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And catch this. When she says Savior, she doesn't mean Savior like you and I. Like when we say Savior, we think of Christ as my Savior, save me from my sins, kind of a spiritual salvation typically. That's not what she's talking about. She's talking about God coming to save the nation from the Romans. Right? This is in her context, and it becomes very clear as we go through this what she's talking about. She says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, talking about 
herself, and you know, she's a poor girl from the backwaters of the Roman Empire. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. I mean, she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. For the mighty one has done great things for me, holy in his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. That's good language, Old Testament language, like when God rescued Israel out of bondage in Egypt with his mighty arm. Uh, he, is, he, is, uh, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. So she's, she's thinking global here. He brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And so for Mary, the promises that have been made about David and the coming kingdom, God is about to fulfill them. She's at the center of that, that fo the fulfillment, that promise. She is blown away. This incredible vision God has for her life, and she's just worshiping him out of a heart that's full. And so that's the story of Mary. Now, here's the thing. What I want to remind you is as we jump into this today, Luke is writing this account with the perspective of time, 60 or 70 years later. As he is putting together his two-volume set of the life and movement of Jesus, he is being highly selective about what he is sharing. This is not by accident he's sharing this. Highly like any great author, you know, Stephen King, what, any great author, he is going to be planting things early in the story that are going to carry a huge weight later on. We talked about this the very first week we started our series in Acts. And so very early here, he's helping us to understand who Jesus is. And we're understanding what Jesus is coming to do, not just give individual salvation, but to bring all of the creation healed and restored, to raise up the humble, to tear down the rulers of this world, to bring the kingdom of God. And so very early, he's helping us to understand this vision, but also in the process, he's helping us to understand not only who Jesus is, but what it means to follow him in our life. And if you were to study this passage, scholars would agree that very right here at the beginning, that that uh, Luke is lifting up Mary as a model of a model follower of Jesus, right? Now, some of us have grown up in traditions or churches that have given Mary way too much honor and, frankly, uh, almost a blasphemous type of honor, right? That we pray to Mary or Mary is sinless or she was born without sin. There's something different. And a lot of us have come out of that background, right? And so we've wanted, and that's not what the Bible says. That's wrong. It's very destructive. We want to move away from that. But sometimes in our desire to move away from that wrong teaching, we have completely neglected any teaching on Mary. And the fact is, is that Mary is the one that God chose to, to raise his son. I mean, how cool is that? Like, she is an amazing person. It's why she's, God says, you're highly favored. And we're going to learn today why she's highly favored. What is it about Mary that is so special? And there's no question that Luke is right here at the beginning highlighting Mary because Mary shows us what it is to follow Jesus. Mary shows us what it looks like to live life on mission. And as we bring this all together today, you'll see that by the end. So what I want to do to get at this is I want to focus on three just core character qualities of Mary's life. I want to highlight uh, kind of three key words that help us to get at this. And here again, I want to challenge you. We are at the verge of a brand new year. I know right now it seems a long time away. 
I know we got to go through Christmas. I know most of you haven't done your shopping. I know you're exhausted. I know you're five to ten pounds overweight. I know. I'm just saying, that's a statistic. I'm not saying by looking at you I can tell. I'm just saying statistically, um, although I do see more empty seats. Maybe you're just leaving some room. But... Uh, so I know, I, I got this, right? We're like, we're not ready for a new year, Mike. Come on, we're just exhausted. We're trying to pull through this year. But I'm in the next year. I'm in the future. I'm going on. I want to pull you with me. I mean, God has plans for your life. This day is big. And so I want to challenge you today. Uh, as we get ready for a new year, three key words that flow out of her life that are core words for anyone who wants to live life on mission. For anyone who wants to live, as we studied the beginning of this year, an epic life. If you want to live life to the full, if you want to get life, everything out of life you, want, uh, you, de you de uh, desire, if you want to get to the end of your life and into your, end of your life you look back, you have no regrets, you are thankful for what you've done. If that's the life you want, Mary's a person to follow, right? And so here we go. Number one, there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Mary, life on mission. First word, the first word, if you want to experience God's plan for your life, the first word is open. That you have to be open to whatever God has for your life. You can't approach God with a closed fist. You have to be open. Like you have a vision. Like sitting here for your life, you've got a vision. You've got a vision for 2016. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. I promise you. It's like when your friend says, hey, you want to go out for lunch? Yeah, I do. What do you, where do you want to go? I don't care. Okay, how about Baja Fresh? Nah, that's not it. <laughs> okay, well, maybe like um, in and out Nah, I don't feel like a hamburger. How about Country Deli? No, nah, everyone goes there. I'm just tired. It's going to be crowded. Like you have a vision for lunch. You do. And we're just searching for it. And we're finally going to find something. We're going to finally say, okay, uh, how about uh, like that Greek place? Oh, it sounds great. Right? And so the point is, is that often we don't understand this, but we have a vision for our life. And often you don't even know what your vision is until it gets challenged. But the moment it gets challenged, you find out whether you're open to God's vision or not. I want to start with an illustration. You know, this month we're doing this initiative for the poor. And I got to tell you, more than any other initiative we've ever done the last five or six years, this one's really captured my heart. I got to tell you, the first time I saw the video, I may have mentioned this the first week, but the first time I saw the video, I'm sitting in my office by myself watching it on my computer screen. And halfway through this video, I'm literally have my hands up in worship and tears in my eyes. I am so moved by this story. It's an incredible story. You know, these a million, up to a million young girls, babies a, a year, baby daughters a year, aborted or abandoned or put in trash cans or left by the side of the road to die simply because they're girls. And the thought that we here at Rocky Peak could play a small part in creating a place where maybe at least to start with 25 of those girls could have a life and be raised and grow up in a place where they're loved and cherished and wanted and honored, a place they can learn about Jesus and then become a force 
for righteousness in that culture, sharing the message of Jesus and a God who cares that everyone matters to God, that God loves everyone, uh, and that they could be a force and maybe other churches could see this home there and they could get inspired to do the same and maybe this could multiply. This whole thing just captured my heart. But it wasn't just the story itself. What really captured my heart as well was how God is using three families, three people at Rocky Peak to pull this off. And I shared a little bit of this with you in my ministry update letter. I shared a little, we shared a little bit of the video, but I just want to kind of quickly recap that because it highlights this whole thing of openness. You know, the story starts off, there's a couple in our church, Brian and Joyce Sexauer. They've been here for several years now, but about over 20 years ago, Brian's in corporate America. And he feels like God's calling him to go to India to start sharing the message of Jesus with people in India. And catch this, this is crazy. He's got no background in this. He's not a day, no training in this. But God calls him, and he listens, and he follows. They launch a, a ministry in India. Second person, there's a lady in our church named Karen Wynn. Many of you know her. She started a ministry years ago here at Rocky Peak called Into Focus. And her vision that God was putting in her heart was, wouldn't it be cool if you could take uh, health care into places of the world where there is no health care, and you could go in, you could check people's eyes, and if they need glasses, just create glasses there on the spot so that people that were blind or had poor vision could actually see. And in the process, you could share Christ with them about a God who loved them and why you were there to help them see. And so she launched a ministry called Into Focus. It's now gone all around the world doing this. Every month goes down to Mexico, high security prison. We send a team down there every month. The third person was a man named Steve Gerst. Steve traveled with Karen and Into Focus to India to work with Brian to help share the gospel in a new area where the message of Jesus had never gone. So now we've got these three lives, three families being woven together by God. And together, out of that, while he's there, God touches Steve's heart, touches many hearts. They form a team. They launch a ministry. And now they're starting this Himalayan joy home. And out of that, God's bringing to us three people from our congregation that we can make an impact way over there. And what's amazing about this story is that these three people were just open to God's calling on their life. Now catch this. Here's what I love about this story. None of these three have left their day job. Brian enjoy, Brian does real estate. He lives here. In this area. We were in the same life group for two years. Uh, he does real estate to support himself. Um, Karen runs a company that creates high-tech costumes for Hollywood. She designed the Spider-Man costume. Um, Steve is an attorney here in L.A., I believe in the, in the entertainment industry, if I remember right. right. They're just kind of three people. Like, just like you, that God had a different plan for their life. And the catch should say, listen, and they followed. And because of that, through Brian's ministry, thousands of people have come to Christ and been baptized, which is like a death sentence in India. Over 500 churches, small churches, have been started in India. 
um, Karen has led ministry around the world, sharing Christ through the eyeglass ministry, providing glasses for the poor. Steve and his team are now launching this Himalayan thing, and I'm just excited to see what's going to happen. I, I doubt that one home's the end of that story. We'll see what happens. But whether it's through them or through a model for others, we'll see what God does. And what's amazing to me is that these are three people just like you. Just like you. Full-time jobs. You think you have a vision for your life. You think you know what you're going to do in the next year or next five years. And guess what? In 2016, some of you, God may come and say, I got something completely different. And the question is, will you be open? And catch this, I'm not saying it has to be big. It doesn't have to be international. For some of you, it may be at a much lesser level. For some of you, it may be that God has been putting in your heart to launch a life group, and that's scary for you. For some of you, it may be to initiate that relationship with a neighbor across the street, to build relationship, love them well, for the purpose of sharing Christ with them. For some of you, it may be getting out of one career and into a completely different career. God has been tugging it and you've been afraid. For some of you, God's been putting in your heart to write a novel for years. And you've been saying no. For others of you, it's going to be going back to school. For some of you, it's just like retooling your whole finances and the way you look at finances. For some of you, it's going to be joining a ministry here at Rocky Peak. He's going to call you to get out of your seat and into the game. He's going to say, you've been coming here for two or three years and you love it, but it's time to get involved. You need some relationships, you need some friendships, you need to make a difference. And here's the ministry, he's going to call you. And the question is, when God calls, will you be open? And the thing I love about Mary is she's so open. And we miss it because we're so familiar with the story. But I want you to think about this. She's betrothed to be married. So let's say she's 14, 16 years old. Probably is going to be married in the next year. If you know any teenage girls that are about to get married, how high on their agenda is that? Pretty high, right? You got visions of your life. You know, in that culture, virgins would have a seven-day wedding feast. This is why Jesus had to make 150 gallons. <laughs> There's no BevMo around the corner. It's like this wedding is a big deal. This wedding is a center of Jewish life. When families come together, everything stops for like seven days. She's going to be marrying this young carpenter, this young stonemason, this construction worker. My hunch is she has a vision for her life. We're going to get married. We're going to add on to your father's house. As soon as that room's ready, we're going to be able to get married. We're going to start a family. We're going to have kids. You're going to work in the community. We're going to grow old together. She has a vision of her life, and that vision is stopped in a moment. In a moment of time, she sees an angel, which is no more likely for her than you or me, she freaks out. He says, I've got a plan for your life. God's got a message for you. And in that moment, everything changes. But catch her response. I am the Lord's servant. Whatever he wants. Now, what you have, we have to understand this, is that if we're going to go on mission, 
You're going to live big. You're going to live epic. You're going to carry out God's plan for you. You have to understand that before you work for the post office, before you're an attorney, before you work in corporate America, before you make Spider-Man costumes, before you build homes, before you drive a truck, before you do accounting, before you get your PhD, before all of that, that's external clothes in your life. What you do is what you put on. That's not who you are. Who you are is you are a servant of God. That's who you are. And once we get clear on that, we can get clear on finding God's purpose for our life. As long as we want to pretend we're all these other things first, we'll never get it right. We have to start by being open. God, what do you have? And the moment we get open, man, we're in for an adventure. Right? So it starts there by being open. Now, number two. Number two, the second word, and it follows hard on the heels of number one, is the word faith. And, and I know faith is kind of one of those spiritual, religious words, again, getting things washed out. But what I'm saying is that if you're going to go on mission with God, you not only have to be open to whatever he wants and willing to open your hand and be willing to change your plans for his plans. There's got to be an openness there, right? But not only that, but you have to be willing to step out and take a risk. Like when I say faith, what I mean is fear, right? Like faith and fear go together. Like if there is no fear, there's no need for faith. Like faith is about trusting God in the midst of fear. Faith is about taking a risk. I mean, you think of the stories of the Bible, you know, Abraham leaving his homeland and going to a land that he doesn't really know God will tell him when you get there. That's a little risky, would you say? Uh, Moses going back to one of the most powerful monarchs of the day and saying, I've got a message, let your two million slaves go. Like, you know, it's like going to Vladimir Putin. Hey, that whole Ukrainian thing, God says, knock it off. Like, how do you think that's going to go, right? I mean, maybe if Donald Trump went. That's no, okay. <laughs> he likes Putin. Uh, anyway, um, I'm not getting political. Just, just there. All right, there we go. So, uh, you know, Joshua, okay, go in uh, and take the walled cities. Hey, David, take your slingshot, go get the big guy. Um, Peter, hey, I know it's like five-foot waves. Let's step out. Um, you see, in the Bible, faith and fear go together. Like, without fear, there's really no requirement for faith. Like, faith is about trusting God when it's scary. And here's the thing, is that Mary had grown up on these stories. She'd grown up on the stories of Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Gideon and David. These are her stories. And many of the stories that she'd grown up about faith were stories about miracle pregnancies. Not, uh, you know, not, not virgin births, but miracle pregnancies. You think of the story of their nation, Abraham and Sarah. I mean, they have a child when they're 100 years old. That's how the story begins. 
You know, Isaac prayed for his wife that God would remove her barrenness. That's how Jacob and Esau are born. Um, Hannah goes to the tabernacle at Shiloh and prays to God, God, if you'll just give me a son and take away my reproach, I'll give him back to you. And that's how the story of Samuel starts. I mean, her history was full of miracle births. But men and women, here's the thing. It's one thing to believe the Bible and to believe the Bible is true. It's another thing to trust that the God of the Bible is your God and you're ready to follow him like they did. It's a big difference. You know, so many times, if I were to ask you, do you believe that Moses led the nation of Israel out and the Red Sea split? Do you believe that? You would say, yes, I believe that. It's a miracle. It's supernatural, but I believe it. Do you believe that the walls of Jericho fell when they marched? I believe that. Do you believe Peter walked on water? I believe that. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I believe that. I believe in a God who does supernatural. I believe with God, all things are possible. Okay, so the question I have for you is, do you believe that God can do the impossible in your life? All right. I like that. My front row buddy right there. All right. Yeah. Uh, yes. You say, what, what tends to happen is we get to that point and we are like, uh, 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 uh. Like we believe it theoretically. But when God calls you to go on mission, I can almost guarantee you at points in your life, there will be crossroads where it will be scary. And you're going to find out whether you believe or not. And here's the thing, it's in those moments when you listen and follow, the God of the Bible becomes your God. It's when Brian quits his job in corporate America not knowing where he's going or how he's going to pull this off, that God of the Bible begins to work in the life of Brian Sexhauer, and now we've got thousands of people in India who have come to Christ in 500 churches. It's when Karen Wynn, who doesn't know if it's ideal, will even work, steps out and follows what God is telling her. And now this ministry into focus has given birth in people all over the world. It's because Steve was willing to trust that even though in India it's so hard to get this kind of home approved because they don't want foreigners coming in and fixing their country. And yet you move forward, and God opens the doors, and here we are. You see, it's when we step out, we listen, and we follow, and we trust, and we step out, that God moves. And the God of the Bible becomes our God, and our life moves from natural to supernatural. It's where God comes close. It's where you experience him. And I'm not saying you, you do something crazy on your own. I'm talking about following where he's leading, right? And this is what Mary did. This wasn't her idea. I know, I'll have the Messiah. Uh, you know, I'll just kind of get real mental, and that's positive confession. I'll just, I'm going to, yes, he's going to come, he's going to come. You know, it's like, um, 
She's responding to what God's doing. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing that she trusts right away. In fact, when she goes to see Elizabeth, I love the way Elizabeth puts this. There in your note sheet, Luke 145. Elizabeth sees her. She says, blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Like right away, she goes, man, you did it right. My husband, he didn't believe, but you believed. Way to go. You trust her. In our lives, we have to be open, and then we have to be willing to trust. Number three, third word is the word grit. First time I've ever used that word in a message. And I struggle with this word. What, what, what am I trying to communicate here? Um, there's a grittiness about Mary. There's a willingness to hang on to the promise of God no matter what. We're going to see it throughout her life. Um, you know, when, when you think of how God works, I think many of us think that with, if God is leading me to do something, that the door should always swing open wide. The path should always be clear. I should never be confused. The sea will always part. The stone will always roll away quickly. And this is what we expect. And so if I were to talk to you about most of us have probably gone through a time in our life where we felt like God was leading us to do something. And it seems so clear we step out and all hell breaks loose. And our first instinct when that happens, maybe I heard wrong. Why? Because we assume that if God is in it, it should be easy. But if you look at the Bible, anything but that is true. In the Bible, what you see is there is a vision. There's the fulfillment of the vision. And in between, there's this time that's symbolized by a dash. Right? The vision Fulfillment, dash in between. And often what you find is that dash is full of tests and challenges that shake the person to their core. Common. Um, think with me. Uh, Abraham, if you follow me, 75 years old, you follow me, I'll turn you into a great nation. You don't have any kids yet. Too old to have kids. Never going to have kids. But trust me, turn you into a great nation. 24 years later. He's 99. Still hasn't happened. He's left everything 24 years ago. I think of us, you know, back, what's that, in the 80s? We left, you know, 80s, we trusted God. Is that right? Math? Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Long time ago. Can't do it on the fly, very good. Uh, a long time ago. You're still waiting for the promise. It's a long time. Um, think of Joseph. 17 years old, God gives him these dreams that one day he's going to rule his family. He's so excited. Brothers less so. <laughs> guess what? 20 years later when he's 37, those dreams come true. And during the dash, here's what happened. Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison, forgotten by his friends. That is quite the dash. Uh, think about Moses. Moses apparently has this vision early in life to free his countrymen, according to the book of Hebrews. 
And so he lodges in at 40 years old to start freeing some of his men. Can I see if he can help us? It backfires on him. He spends the next 40 years of his life. Some of you are 40 right now. Picture till 80. The next 40 years, and, and he leaves the high society of Egypt. He's a prince. High society of Egypt, palace lifestyle, the best of food, daily massages, I'm sure, uh, you know, finest schools, finest wine, and he is now on the backside of the desert with freezing nights and boiling summers following stinky sheep. That's his dash. Uh, think of David, young man, young teenager. God promises, anoints him, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Can you imagine how excited he must have been that night? Just kind of playing with his stick like a sword. I mean, he's just so, so excited, right? And it's going to be like 15, 20 years. And during that dash, he's going to be often a step away from death, running for his life, hiding out in caves, hanging out with outlaws just to make a living. Kind of sons of anarchy, Israel style. Crazy. At one point, he's arrested uh, by a foreign king, and he goes, and he has to get out of it. He acts like he's a crazy man. He starts slobbering and spitting and acting wild. It's like about that time, you think, like, hey, God, remember that promise? I'm acting crazy here. And this was Mary's story, too, and we just miss it. We, we miss it. We miss the dash. We get Christmas. We get death and resurrection, we forget the dash. This is Mary's story. Starts off great, right? Amazing vision. I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah who's going to reign forever. And everything that goes with that. She tells Elizabeth, they're so excited. She goes off, worship and praise. God's fulfilling his promise. And then starts the dash. She goes home to small town Israel. And can you imagine how this went over when small town Israel, very conservative, you know, they still have on the laws on the books, you stone people that get pregnant before they're married. Uh, can you imagine how this went over that, hey, I'm pregnant. Good news. Um, yeah, God did it. Uh, it's a God thing. And then from there, the next thing finds out is that her fiancé is going to divorce her. Next thing she finds out. Got to get an angel involved for that one. And then now she's about ready to deliver. And this Roman emperor a thousand miles away decides it's a good time to tax everyone. So you're going to travel south, walking. There's no buses, no Amtrak, no Uber. Uh, you're going to walk, you know. I don't know, 80, 100 miles, whatever it is. And, and you're going to get there, and then, oh, you know, uh, all the pack and plays have been purchased. Um, we're going to put your firstborn son in a stone feeding trough from the animals. We're going to put the son of David, this Messiah, he had such high hopes for. This is not kind of a good, good start to the story. 
Some month later, you go to the temple to dedicate your son. While you're there, an old man comes up named Simeon begins to prophesy. Part of that prophecy is this, this child is going to be for the rise and falling of many in Israel. He's going to be a sign to be spoken against. And a sword is going to pierce your own soul. Wait, I thought this was son of David. I thought this was like Messiah. I thought this was, I know how this story goes. That doesn't sound like the right story. I think you're reading the wrong story. And then it gets worse because the crazy king, you know, the kind that God was going to tear down and, and the proud kind of king is going to destroy, crazy king decides to come after him. And in the middle of the night, they have to exercise a daring escape and run for their lives to another Middle Eastern country, sounds like Syria, and become refugees in Egypt. And they're going to live there for a while, maybe a few years, until the, until the king dies. When they come home, they're still so afraid. They don't want to go back to Bethlehem because he's king in that area. They want to go north again, back to Nazareth, because he has no jurisdiction there. And you, you grow up under that shadow. And then when he launches his ministry, you have high hopes at first, but pretty soon you think he's lost his mind. You're going to go to him and, and try to take to an intervention, a family intervention. You think he's lost his mind. He thinks he's like, who do you think he is now? And you're afraid he's going to get in trouble with the Romans if he keeps on doing this. And so you do a family intervention in Mark's gospel. They go and tell him because they think he's lost his mind. And then he keeps on going. He won't listen to you. And so now you're standing at the foot of a Roman cross as his mother, and this son of David that was going to rule forever, and that's how the story starts, is now hanging on a Roman cross. The very empire that he was going to bring down has now nailed him to a cross, and you're watching your son that you know was born supernaturally. You watch him hanging on a cross, dying and writhing in pain as the memories of Gabriel's visit run through your mind as those words go through, that is a long dash. But Mary had grit. She wasn't one to give up on the promises of God. And so the story doesn't end here. And what's fascinating to me is that Luke starts season one, with his first two episodes, with Mary worshiping God. That's how it starts, right? He starts season two in Acts, episode one. That's the last time we're going to see Mary in the Bible. And her son is now resurrected from the dead. My guess is she saw him. We don't know for sure. We know she did, he did see one of his brothers. I would assume that he saw his mother. But uh, after his resurrection, he eventually returns to his father. Remember, they're outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. We talked about that. Afterwards, Jesus said, go back into the city, wait for the coming of the Spirit. We go back into the city, and guess what? Guess who's there? Still there. Didn't go home, didn't give up, still there. And there in your note sheet, here's the last time we'll see Mary in the Bible. So they return to Jerusalem. This is after the ascension. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and, and Luke lists out for us the names of the apostles, and they skipped down the page. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. That's what we talked about last week. Along with the women and whom? Mary. She's there. At the very end, she's not given up. She's not quit. She's hung on, and she's there. 
And Luke doesn't tell us, but my guess is in a few days, because remember, it's seven to ten days before the Holy Spirit comes. And you remember that account? Remember the Holy Spirit comes, the, the tongues of fire, the, wind, the sound of wind through the room, the Spirit coming, they begin to prophesy, they begin to worship God in languages of the world that they'd never learned, just like Mary had worshipped God in episode two, way back in season one, saying similar things. And my hunch is that Mary was there, and she was filled with the spirit of her son. And once again, the dash was finally over, and now she was on this side of the dash, the, the vision was fulfilled. But the vision was so much bigger. See, she thought the vision was just for her son rescued from the enemies of Israel. Uh, it was so much bigger. She found out that her son was going to rescue the whole world from sin and darkness. He was going to bring salvation to all the creation. And then he was going to come back at the end of time to do what the prophets had already said, restore all of creation to what it was meant to be. The vision was so much bigger than Mary could have ever seen. But she never would have experienced it if she hadn't hung on through the dash. And so what does it look like to go on mission? You want to live big. You want to live large. You want to live epic life. What does it look like? It looks like, first of all, being open to God. Whatever he has, open hands. I'm the Lord's servant. Secondly, it looks like taking those steps of faith when he calls us to follow. And for some of you today, like, what is that? Some of you sitting right here, you know right now what it is. God's already been speaking. He's been calling to you. It's a new ministry. It's to reach out and restore a relationship. It's to issue forgiveness to someone who's hurt you. It's to change careers. It's to reach out to that neighbor. It's to, like you know, sitting here right now, for some of you, you know God has already been preparing you for today. You know. For some of you here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And you know he's calling you to follow him. And he's saying, will you be open? Will you come under my leadership? Will you give me your life? Will you allow me to forgive you for your whole past? Fill me with your spirit and lead your life from this point on. Will you become the Lord's servant today? Like this is his calling for you. For some of you, you're in the midst of a dash right now. You're in a place of pain. It might be in your marriage. It might be with your kids. It might be in your finances. It might be a career. It might be a, a ministry situation. There's a health thing. And you're in the dash. And you know what? God has spoken. He's given you a vision. He's told you he's with you. And he's told you he'll bring you through. But you are right now in the midst of the dash. And you are so tempted to give up on God and to stop listening and to stop following. And his word to you today is to show grit to hang on, to trust that the same God who gave the vision will restore the vision. There is a resurrection that's coming. You cannot give up. And so what is his message for you today? What's his message for 2016? Three lessons. Be open. Trust. Hang on. And watch the God of Christmas and the God of the birth of Jesus become the God of the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are, uh, we're just excited to be here this week on the verge of the celebration of your coming in the world to rescue us. And 
God, we just want to pray. We want to pray that right now you'll be moving through this place. We don't want to miss an opportunity. Just because it's Christmas weekend and we're tired and we're distracted and we're not focused, we don't want to miss what you have for us today. We want to say, God, that we want to be open. And we're willing to follow. We're going to take that step, whatever it is. And we're going to trust you, even in the hard times, that you are the God of the fulfillment of vision. And so, God, we pray today you'd be moving throughout this whole place in a powerful way. And we look to you. We look to you as Mary looked to you, as she looked to you at the foot of the cross, remembering back the promises you'd made, wondering how it was going to be fulfilled, and yet hanging on to the promise that somehow, somehow your promise will be fulfilled. And God, we pray as we bring you our offerings, as we bring you our normal tithes, as we, uh, as we give to the poor, the initiative for the poor, we pray you use these gifts to expand your kingdom, bring glory to your name. And God, we pray for that faith to trust you. We pray for that grace to surrender, to give up our plans for your plans. We pray that you would use us in a powerful way. We pray that this would be a year unlike any other year. We pray it would start now, it would start today as we look to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we worship? Amen. <laughs> hey, a uh, couple of things as we go. First of all, so awesome to worship with you today. I know a lot of you will be traveling this week and Wherever you go, if you can't be with us on Christmas Eve, uh, God bless you, and, and may you just be a blessing wherever you go. Uh, for those of us who are in town, look forward to seeing you Christmas Eve. We're excited about those services. Um, but I also want to give you a heads up uh, that uh, I had a surprise uh, a couple months ago. Uh, you know, often um, I talk about listening and follow is kind of a motto for my life and, and a motto for our church, and, and uh, that means you have to be open to whatever God's going to do, right? He's going to surprise you. And... Um, so about seven or eight weeks ago, I was totally caught by surprise. I felt like God began planning in my heart uh, that we were supposed to do a new series come the new year. And uh, I'm kind of like you. I would assume we'd just go through Acts, be here about five years, you know. Uh, and so I was totally taken off guard, but very excited about that. So I think good chance we'll come back. But here's what's going to happen. The next four weeks, we're going to continue through Acts, and we're going to wrap up the first, this first series, Life on Mission. It started chapter 6. Uh, a little in chapter 6. Uh, but then we're going to take a break. We'll see if we come back. But uh, I think we probably will. But we're going to take a break. I'm going to be doing a special series that's going to take us almost to Easter that's called, in the middle of January, it's called uh, Priorities, uh, The Way to Life. And uh, one of the things the Bible teaches is that life is like a journey. Some paths lead to life. Some paths lead to death. Our priorities are like those paths. And we choose the right priorities, they lead to life. We choose the wrong ones. Even if we don't want to go where they lead, they lead in the uh, wrong destination. And so it's going to be, I think, a great series. I'm working on a message five right now. Very excited about that, where it's going, and uh, looking forward to that. And so it's going to be a great series, not only for us as a church as we launch in the new year and think about that, but it's also going to be a great series to invite friends, especially those who don't know Christ. It's going to be an easy on-ramp series because we live in the midst of a very busy culture. This concept of priorities, living life on purpose is, a, is an important concept I think people can relate to. So it's a great opportunity to bring our one lives, those we've been praying for. So I need to be praying for that. The reason I mention it now so early is that we're going to be doing these invite cards on Christmas Eve because we have so many guests that come on Christmas Eve. So I didn't want you to be taken as a surprise. We say, hey, we're doing a new series. You're like, what? I thought we were going to Acts for four more years. So I wanted you to be on the inside. I know it's happening with that, all right? 
And so I will see you uh, Christmas Eve. Until then, if you need prayer to the sides here, as always, may God be with you. May you be open. May your first words be, I am the Lord's servant. Uh, whatever you've got for me, may you be ready to trust him to go life on mission. Take a step of faith. Whatever that step of faith is. And then once you take it, to hang in there to the end. Because there may be a long dash, but his word never falls. Amen? God bless you guys. See you next week.